Should I come out? Hey, how's everybody doing? That intro is entirely too cool for me. This room is too cool for me. Everything about, I wore all my black so I could fit in in the near Soho area. How's everybody doing? Good, in the back? How you guys doing back there? Those are the best seats in the house, I'm just letting you know. Stadium seating, stadium seating. Never forget. Uh, I've got some things in my life that I'm never going to forget. Um, some I probably should. I'm going to tell you about some of them tonight. Uh, one of the things is I, I grew up in South Florida, and uh, what in the world? It's not that cool. It's not. But I appreciate the love. Uh, so I grew up, um, I grew up in, in the Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale area, and uh, we didn't do a lot of family vacations. It's just my small little family. Um, but my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, everybody kind of lived by each other. And so we did some large-scale family vacationing on the regular. And for whatever reason, my grandparents decided Disney was going to be the thing. So every year, they would buy the entire family season tickets to Disney. And then about five or six times a year, they would take the whole family up there, give all the kids spending money. We'd stay on the grounds in Disney. It was stressful. Magic Kingdom. Okay, it was great. Anyways. So the point is, I have to explain why I grew up a little bit obsessed with Disney. You know, Disney had a little bit of a golden, golden moment. It started in 1989 with The Little Mermaid. And then 1991 was Beauty and the Beast. 92 was Aladdin. And then in 1994, The Lion King. I appreciate that you got there before me. And some applause for The Lion King. You guys are going to love this. So, so, I, so for whatever reason, I really connected with The Lion King. It was like, I don't know, I, it resonated. I mean, I was all in. Memorabilia, figurines. The whole nine yards. So here's the thing, though. In 1994, when The Lion King came out, I was 15 years old. <laughs> this was high school, early high school for me. And while some kids are playing sports, not this guy. So like, some people are like collecting baseball cards and stuff like that. I was collecting trading cards of Disney movies. This is a thing. Well, it was a thing. Hopefully, they stopped this. Anyways, so I was kind of into like art as a kid, so I started to sketch the movie stills. This was like, this was what I did in my free time. I actually have photos for you. So this is what I was doing with my free time. I don't know why they didn't try to hire me. I mean, okay, I took it a step further though. You see, your bedroom wall is just, it's a blank canvas. So I made a mural. So I painted this on my bedroom wall. This is like about eight feet tall. Wait for it. It's about 10 feet wide. So I was talking to my mother this week. And uh, my mom, I was like, hey, I'm preaching this weekend. She's like, oh, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm actually going to talk about the Lion King stuff. She's like, are you going to tell him you were 17 when you did all that? I was like, she, absolutely. She keeps it real. This woman holds on to things for the right moment. On my wedding day, 
She decided that she was going to tell everyone in attendance that I had a childhood dream of being a ballet dancer <laughs> during the ceremony. <laughs> Not the reception, on a microphone in my wedding ceremony. Yeah, so that's great. So then she says, you know what the best part about that story is, is I remember what we gave you for your 18th birthday. <laughs> so terrible. It was a Lion King comforter. So today I want to talk to you about regret. <laughs> Just kidding, but kind of, a little bit. All right, so the art thing. So I was drawing, and what I realized early on is that not every eraser is created equal. This is, I love, can I just come back here again? This is amazing. They do. I, we, we do church in a movie theater. You can't hear a thing. It's amazing. You feel like you're alone up there. This is awesome. Anyways, so, so the thing with art is there's going to be mistakes. There are going to be things that you're going to have to eliminate, that you're going to have to try to erase. And proper drawing pencils actually don't come with erasers. I did not have proper drawing pencils. I had regular pencils, which come with erasers. Those erasers are terrible. Uh, so Cody Abercrombie, the pastor of the downtown location, he actually loves pencils for whatever reason, and he's got this stack of pencils on his desk. I took one from him. I used one the other day, and I erased something with it. I have never used a worse eraser in my life. I have a picture. I took a picture. It was that bad. That's what happened when I used that eraser. That was terrible. So... My erasers weren't quite so bad at the end of the day, but early on I got turned on to this thing called a vinyl eraser. So a vinyl eraser is the, huh? I mean, incidentally, the same company that made the previous pencil makes this eraser. Why they could not get these technologies together is beyond me. But these things are fantastic. This. 95% removal guaranteed. Maybe even 98%. I mean, there's always a little bit of something left behind when you have a mistake. 98% about as good as you can hope for. I mean, the only way to really get rid of a mistake is to scrap it and start over. And nobody really wants to do that. When you're in the middle of a project, you got all this time and energy sunk into this. And, you know, there's probably some bits of it that you want to keep that you're kind of proud of. And so I kind of learned that I'm going to have to deal with being able to see some of my previous mistakes. I'm just going to be reminded of them. I don't love it, but it's something I live with. And not everybody can actually see them. If I put that picture up, please don't, of the mural, again, if you're an artist, you probably notice some things that are off about it. And if I gave you enough time, you would certainly notice some things that are wrong with it, probably. Now, I'm enough, I've got enough grace for myself to say, yeah, it was pretty good, and I'm okay with that now. But when I look at that thing, I see mistakes. I see lots of things that I wish I did differently. Perspectives that were off, colors that were wrong, lines that I wish that I'd changed. And actually, when I show it to people, I feel like I'm hiding things. I feel like I can't totally be proud of it because there's some stuff that I'm kind of hiding. 
And if I'm honest, I think life can kind of look like this sometimes. It certainly does for me. I know in like the pencil drawing of my life, there's some mistakes. There's some things that I did that I wish I hadn't, things that I've said, stuff that I've done, circumstances I found myself in that I just, I just wish they weren't there. There's things that I wish that I could erase, but somehow feel like I kind of need to hide them a little bit. Like I can't quite expose them. And you know, there's things in my life like this that I've actually tried to rid a little bit on my own. I've tried to do some of my own cleanup, and frankly, I often make things worse. Maybe not quite as bad as the Cody pencil thing, <laughs> but not great. It just doesn't quite go away. Things still end up present. Some of them, I kind of feel like I continually relive, even a little bit. And I feel like, based on my experience, it's just something like everything else that I'm going to have to deal with. But does it have to be that way? Am I destined to just live with the smudged after effects of the mistakes and the garbage that's in my life? I mean, I don't want to scrap my life and start over. Not that that's an option, but there's some things I'm proud of that I'd like to keep with me. Maybe not teenage murals on my wall, but there's other things. But the eraser that I have on my disposal isn't the right tool. It just doesn't do the trick. But God actually offers us something different. But you know what? Sometimes I forget. And forgetting matters. Because when you forget something, it's as if you don't actually know it at all. That information has absolutely no bearing on how I live my life. And things that we forget about God have huge implications for our spiritual lives. Because what we know will determine how we behave. And that's one of the things that I love about this Never Forget series that we've been in. We've gone through various parts of Psalm 103, pulling out some of those promises that God's made to his people. And in this psalm, the author David is reminding himself and to all of us, never forget some of the things that God's done for us. So I'm going to read you Psalm 103, the first three verses. It says, let all that I am stand in front of the projector. Sorry. Forgive me. Praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Never forget that he forgives all my sins. He's got a giant eraser. And he gets rid of all of those mistakes. You know, that's the whole message of the entire Bible. God creates mankind and things are great. Relationship is tight between him and his people, between um, man, Adam and Eve. Everything is good, but things go sideways. Sin enters the picture. People choose to go their own way. And as a result, the rest of us forever are infected with a problem. This is not something that we have to teach. It's nature. I have a 13-month-old daughter who does whatever she wants. <laughs> we have this tall glass vase that has, like, some cherry blossom sticks and whatever in it. 
It's taller than her. She walks up to it, and I have to, I go, Vivian, no! She grabs it. She looks at me. She smiles, and she just goes nuts. It's not like I sat down with her and said, I want to teach you a little bit about disobedience. Okay, I want, I'm going to tell you something, and then I want you to completely ignore me, and I want you to do whatever you want. This is an, it's a key, it's a key thing in life that you're going to need to know. You don't have to do that. It's there. From birth, that's nature. But see, the thing is, is once that disobedience enters with our relationship with God, something's broken, something's fractured, something must be done to fix it. And so the choice is we pay for it or God pays for it. And he chooses to step in to send his son at great personal cost to pay the price for us to erase our sin and pay our debt. All of it. Like Psalm 103 says, he forgives all my sins. And that's it. Simply by accepting this offer that Jesus makes to take your place and to pay your debt for you, you get to make an exchange. His perfect life for your imperfect life. And that's it. He forgives us. It's crazy. And if you've never accepted that offer, it really is that simple. And I would invite you to take the wildest ride I've ever been on in following Jesus. But I wonder if there are a few of us in the room that even though we know that God has forgiven us, if we're honest, maybe we don't always feel forgiven. I wonder if, like me, you have a few things in your life that are still holding on to you a little bit, that give us that little reminder of regret. You can still kind of feel a little bit of that sting, even if it's just one thing. So I, I still wish I hadn't done that thing, responded that way took advantage of that person, lied about that thing. I mean, how would you feel if I asked you to talk about it? Would your countenance change? Break eye contact? Slump your shoulders maybe a little bit? Feeling of shame maybe come over you in some way? I mean, if I'm honest, I still have some things in my life that do that to me. I know I'm forgiven, and yet certain things stir that up, and I wonder why that is. And I think it's because we tend to misunderstand some things about God's forgiveness. We can read one thing and walk away and actually believe something completely different. And so we're going to get real in here for just a quick second, and I want to say that if you're a follower of Jesus... And there are things in your life that you still feel the pain of regret for. If there are some past sins and mistakes that you feel like you just can't escape, I want to tell you very lovingly that you're believing a lie. And I have something that I have been learning that I think is a very important theological principle. And that is this. Jesus is not a vinyl eraser. 
This is what we end up believing, that he forgives our sins, and he's got a good eraser, but it's like 98% gone. There's still going to be that little bit of remnant that you're going to have to live with, looking at and being reminded of forever. But is that what God actually says to us? Let's take a look. Psalm 103, continuing on, says a very interesting thing. He says, he doesn't punish us for all our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. His unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. This is the eraser. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Not a little bit, not 98%, east from west. And yet many of us, I believe, myself included, have a tendency to live with a belief in the vinyl eraser Jesus. So why do we do this? I think there's two things that kind of play into a lot of this. One, you know, it kind of feels comfortable to keep holding yourself responsible for some things. Most of us have a pretty strong sense of justice. I know I hate it when people get away with things. Can't stand it. So deep down, when I know that there's something that I did that's wrong, I'm not totally comfortable getting away with it. It feels a little bit wrong. Also, if I get away with things, that means I have to let other people get away with things. And that doesn't feel so great. So I think the other thing that we do, and it's along the same line, is we get too preoccupied with the horizontal effects of our sins and our mistakes and not the vertical ones. We focus too much on the people around us. What are they going to think if they find this out? What if they actually knew everything that was there inside of me? And so one of the keys to understanding this shift towards what I think is living out of a full and total 100% forgiveness has been a really important verse in my life over the years, and it's found in 2 Corinthians 7. It says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So there's two kinds of ways that we can respond to our sins and mistakes. Two kinds of sorrow. And there is a strong gravitational pull towards the worldly side. But we have a choice. Either our focus can be on the vertical effects towards God or the horizontal effects towards the world. So let me kind of illustrate this. Let's say you lie about something at work. We would never lie. Let's say you misrepresent something about something you did and maybe painted it in a slightly better light than you should have, and people got the wrong idea. Then you get found out. Now, all of a sudden, you're devastated. Your people around you know that you've lied about something. Your boss potentially doesn't trust you, and you have these ripple effects 
of your reputation being brought down. So you start to try to erase it. You start to run around, fix some things, maybe have some conversations, try to overdo it in a lot of areas, and try to make a better situation out of what you've done. Meanwhile, never fully knowing if your reputation is restored. You can't know if that's fixed. And so you end in this spiral of never being able to correct this worldly sorrow that leads to death. So on the other side, if you understand the vertical effects of your sin, you understand that, God, I realize that in an attempt to inflate my reputation, I went against your directive towards me to live with integrity and honesty. And in doing so, I failed. And I have placed my reputation above you. I want to turn from this. So godly sorrow produces repentance that turns and leaves salvation. And God says, forgiven. No regret. So, if we as followers and believers in Jesus are still living with any level of sting or pain from prior regrets, then we're suffering from being trapped by worldly sorrow. And living this way actually costs us and costs the people around us. When we start to do this and we realize that there are holes and mistakes and things that we're trying to cover up, we begin to hide. We shut places of our lives off. We start to erect walls. We create boundaries where we don't let people in. We intentionally stifle and break relationships to keep people at a distance. We do this in our relationship with God, and we certainly do this with relationships with the people around us. And this is not God's intention for how we are meant to live. Our full experience of the love of God, the freedom that we are meant to walk in, is actually meant to change the places that we walk into. But we can't do that unless we live out of the fullness of our potential impact by understanding the truth about who God is for our whole selves. I was reading a book uh, recently, a Dallas Willard book called Life Without Lack. I'll read some quotes to you later about it. One of the things he said in the book, which kind of stopped me in my tracks, is he talked about using the Lord's name in vain. And so this is a commandment um, that says you shouldn't use the Lord's name in vain. Most of us think, of course, that means, like, don't curse somebody. Don't say, oh, God, or whatever the case is. He says that's not the case. Using the Lord's name in vain is about ascribing things to God that are not true about his name. And so ways in which we live in light of a truth about God that is actually not true, that's using the Lord's name in vain. So what we believe and think about God really matters. So we have to fully understand this forgiveness. So no matter where you are in your faith journey, I think that the message that David has for us in Psalm 103 is for everyone. And it's a strong message. I have always heard this psalm, mostly in other versions, bless the Lord, O my soul. And I just like, oh, bless the Lord. I just, it's so sweet. Like, bless his heart. No. I do not believe that that is what he's saying. I think... The picture that I keep getting is David has his soul by the shirt collar, and he's staring it in the face going, 
Hey, never forget this. This matters. And so we need to believe things and actually act as though that they're true. You know, there's a partnership here between God and us in the way that this works. He does the heavy lifting of offering us grace and forgiveness, and then we take it and walk it out and live it out. Receiving the grace is very passive. Living it out, very active. So I'm going to leave us with three things that we're going to try to live out. You've heard of like the ABCs of things? Well, this is the CBAs of forgiveness. You're welcome. (laughs) Choose, believe, and then act. So you have to choose the truth that you're going to align with. Then you have to actually believe what God says about you and then act like it. So choose the truth that you're going to align with. You know, you are already aligning yourself with the truth, and you behave accordingly. You ever walk out of a subway clearly convinced of the direction you're supposed to be going? (laughs) Two blocks down the road, you realize, I should cross the street so nobody notices that I got to double back. (laughs) When you left convinced of where you were supposed to go, you were acting according to your truth, and you were wrong. (laughs) So it matters what truth you align your life with. And so I'm not here to convince you about God's truth. I think he can do a fine job of that himself. If you're unconvinced, check out the Bible. There's an amazing amount of stuff in there about his greatness. There is no other place in the world in any other religion that offers the kind of forgiveness and freedom and life that is offered in Jesus. So choose where you're going to align yourself. Next, you have to believe what God actually says about you. And you have to know that what you see and what he sees are different. Um, I have a new favorite piece of artwork in my house that I got recently. Um, It's an abstract piece, um, kind of an up-and-coming artist. I have a picture of it here for you. Um, It's not Lion King. I really like this picture. My daughter did this. I'll sell it to you if you want. Actually, I won't sell it to you. This is the first piece of art that she's ever done. You know what I see when I look at this picture? I see this. There is nothing that you could say to me to convince me otherwise. You might know that there's some things in your life that are finger paintings. But God sees starry night. You have to believe that. Here's something that Dallas Willard says. Wherever your mind goes, the rest of your life goes with it. What we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. 
Wrong ideas about God make it impossible for us to function in relationship to one another. We are not able to love one another because we don't have our minds filled with an accurate vision of God. If you misunderstand God's forgiveness, you will misunderstand how to forgive other people. It's a fact. The extent that you are able to extend grace to others is the extent to which you are able to understand your own need for grace and your own receipt of grace. And so what we believe about our level of forgiveness matters in our relationships with other people. And so once we believe it, we have to actually act like it. Those things that are in your life, those places in which you have some mistakes that are still plaguing you, Jesus already paid for that. And if you're a follower of him, he broke the chains of that thing. It's your role to step into the authority that you have as a result of that. It's not easy, but it's yours to take hold of. This is the last thing from Dallas Willard I'll share with you. One of our greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things that they already profess to see and believe. Knowing about things, knowing what they are, being able to identify them and say them, does not mean we actually believe them. When we truly believe what we profess, we are set to act as if it were true. Acting as if things are true means, in turn, that we live as if they were so. I think that the world around us is waiting and longing for us to take our place as the fully free sons and daughters of God. All right. Thanks. Okay. I don't think anybody's ever clapped for anything I've ever said before. It's interesting. I had kind of a big personal revelation this week about something that I feel like was something that I never heard that I needed to hear in my life. God was kind of working on some things with me, and I, w- I was kind of wrestling with this with God. And God said, I'm going to say this to you, but you have to actually do something with it. You have this. Walk like it. Step into this thing. So what would it look like? Think for a moment. Would it change your confidence level if you knew you could live your life every day with no regret? What would your relationships look like, the depth of them, if you actually had nothing to hide because you understood the fullness of your forgiveness? And then what kind of transformation could you carry with you into the places where you walk, if you were doing so totally free. I think that's what God is waiting for us to do. So I want to pray for us. And I want you to kind of use your, if this is weird for you, that's fine. You can just listen. But the rest of you, I want to use your imagination a little bit. There's a difference between something that is imaginative and imaginary. This is not imaginary. This is using your imagination to focus and visualize some things. And so 
I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about those past mistakes, those regrets, those things that you feel like are still kind of 2% there. And I want you to see them in your closed hands. And I want you to hear God say, give it to me. And just open your hands. Next, I want you to look on the floor around you for the chains of the things that you feel like are holding you down. The past, the addictions, the things that feel like keep you just even a little bit in bondage. And I want you to pick them up and I want you to hold them in your hands and look at them. And don't try to break them because that's not for you to do. I want you to see them crumble to dust. And then with your hands open and empty, I want you to receive the power and the authority, the strength, and the peace of total forgiveness. So, Father, forgive us for ways in which we have not thought rightly about you. As we've handed you these things, we ask that you give us in return your assurance of total forgiveness. But let this not be the end of the story. God, I pray that as we walk out of here, that our shoulders are held high, that we understand fully the power that we are meant to walk in, and that you give us opportunity where we set our feet to leave kingdom impact in our wake. Show us how to take our place.